Episode 19 of Outlander Cast is brought to you by the Tag Your It Etsy shop. From Outlander-inspired necklaces and rings to custom designs for birthdays, Mother's Days, or any occasion, every piece is created by Dawn, one letter at a time, so that each piece is one of a kind. Please take the time to visit Dawn at www.tagyourit.biz. That's B-I-Z. Tell her Mary and Blake sent you, and use the coupon code OUTLANDERCAST15 for 15 off any purchase. As always, tag your mama, tag your pet, tag your it, whatever it is. People disappear all the time. Most are found, eventually. Disappearances, after all, have explanations. Usually. Cast with Mary and Blake. It's a podcast dedicated to the show Outlander on Stars. Mary Larson. My name's Blake, and I'm so glad I'm not a 16-year-old girl. Seriously, man, you lucked out in the the pool of being a boy. <laughs> it's tough being a girl. It's tough being a 16-year-old girl. His heart's broken. Let alone a 16-year-old girl in 1743 Scotland. To much of the ire of many a viewer, we are referring to Leary. Aww. And uh, she's actually a big topic of conversation today in our interview with Matt B. Roberts. And who, my darling wife, is Matt B. Roberts? He's one of the many writers on Outlander, but he actually wrote the episode The Reckoning. Yes, he so did. The first episode that we got when we got to come back from Droughtlander. And it was a controversial episode, I'd say, to the very least, because of the strapping scene and how that was played out and then all the it was all from Jamie's perspective as well. This yeah. is very different, it, a very, very different show. It was a step out of the box for the Outlander crew uh, and, and the writing staff. And I really applaud them for it. Now, I, I have given it extra thought and I still maintain that it is a three and a half or three to three and a half kill episode, in my opinion. Um, but I will give uh, Matt Roberts a lot of credit for um, telling us the reasoning behind what he chose, why he chose it. It takes a lot of guts to write an episode like that. It takes a lot of guts to make the choice. And you're never going to make anybody, everybody happy. It's never going to happen. And they went with what they felt was the best choice for that episode. Yes. And, and, and I can't imagine how else they would play it other than, taking that music out I, th- I really think that was just a bad choice oh i just love bear so it's really, <laughs> I do love bear it's too. really hard to put anything down that has anything to do with bear mccreary i they really had to keep it from jamie's perspective mm-hmm. not a moment of anger or hatred so it's difficult and i'll tell you this this interview really helped shed a lot of light 
on this entire episode for me. Anything that I had a little faltering with. So um, yes, I'm it did, excited. and, and, and I'm, I'm glad that we got a chance to speak to Matt Roberts about it because, again, like I said, he did shed some good light on what the choices they made and how, why they made them. And you know what? Why don't we just let him speak for himself and get to the reason why we're here in the first place? Yes. All right, let's do it. Joining us today is Matthew B. Roberts, a writer and producer whose works include multiple episodes of Caprica, Hellcats, and our favorite TV show on stars, Outlander. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today here on OutlanderCast. Um, the first question I have for you is, how did you get the writing job on Outlander? Well, <clears throat> I was a writer, obviously, prior to the show, um, and I had worked with Ron... Um, we, we wrote a pilot for ABC together just previous to Outlander. And I also worked on a show called Caprica that um, was the prequel to Battlestar Galactica, so I knew Ron from that. And I originally, um, way back in the day, Battlestar Galactica's writer's offices were across from my offices at Universal, um, you know, Universal Lot. And... I had, um, Meryl was outside my office talking to someone and she was talking about developing new shows with Ron and I had these books that I had read years before and um, I gave them to her and she fell in love with them. So uh, that's how I kind of got into the mix with them. So when the show, you know, once once they got the show going, um, or we knew it was going to go, um, you know, I thought it was a no-brainer that I would get the write on it because I'm like, hey, I gave you the book. So, yeah. Uh, and thankfully, I'd worked m- multiple times with Ron and, and, and Meryl on other shows, so um, it was pretty much a seamless... Uh, my job interview was very short, let's just say that. <laughs> not too shabby. Not, you didn't have a lot of nervous energy as you went inside there, huh? It, no, not at all, because I, 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 I'd read all the books, so I, I kind of had... A better, well, not better, but just a, a, a larger base of knowledge about the characters and where it was going, and, and hopefully how we were going to get there and stuff. Well, very exciting, and I'm glad to hear that you are such a fan of the books. You don't really, um, th- there's not a lot of men out there who proclaim from the mountaintops, you know, that they are huge fans of the books themselves. I think now that the show has become popular, they're able to be a little bit more out loud about that. So I'm happy to hear that you which, were able which to Which always surprises it. me when I when I talk about the show or talk about the books. You, you know, if you list what's in these books, you know, there's action, there's adventure, there's sex, there's violence, there's, you know, and then you put, you put that up against any other book or show, it's the same list. So, you know, isn't that the same thing in 24, which is a little more male-centric? You know, isn't that the same as is, uh, you know, other male-centric shows, it has all that stuff. It just has an epic love story that, that kind of pushes it through. But then again, I think most shows have love stories. So in addition to being a writer, you're also a producer of this show. Yeah. What do you do as a producer that's different from being a writer? Well, in a way, in television, writer, once, you, once you've kind of worked... Um, 
long enough, you become a producer, and then as your level goes up, you you know the the it's producer levels is is what is how it's designated. Um, the producing part of it is when you're actually there on set, and you we it goes from all the way through the read through where you listen to the the, the um, actors read the part in a room. And you know you could see if something's working or not working, and then you make adjustments. And then when, then you tone with the director, say this is what we're going for. And then the director adds, you know, what they have their ideas to it. And you say, well, this is why we can do this, and this is why we can't do that. And you kind of protect the story, so to speak. And then on set, you do the same thing. You know, you watch rehearsals. You, you know, make sure the 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 tone is going the way you want, or the scene can be played out 50,000 different ways and in one way we would we would protect the story is something could happen and or somebody can say something and you go well we can't say that or do that because and and um, just a even little gestures could, because of what comes down the road so whereas a director could be directing 9 and 10 he may not have read 15 or 16 uh-huh. so uh, either because it wasn't the script isn't out yet or whatever reason so you have to actually you know what's coming so you always have to protect what's coming and that's that's one of them and then there's also casting and you know uh, different elements of of the show you know getting getting a, a show going you know whether it's um you know post you know in, in editing and stuff like that you're the man of many hats that's basically well, what you are the, yeah all the producers you know have the same uh responsibility so mm-hmm. We we tend to cover uh, we we cover block. So as one producer is there covering a block, meaning it's actually filming, another producer is there prepping. So we in the prep, you go to all the locations and you pick locations. You're like this will work. And what what happens is sometimes you'll find a location, and it it's not exactly what you wrote in the script. So you make adjustments because the location is perfect, but what you, you know, then you have to make adjustments in the script to fit the location. You know, say you say, you know, Jamie gets up and storms through the door. Well, the location you pick might not have a door. So now it's Jamie gets up and, you know, walks down the hall, you know, so there has to be subtle changes. It's really is the process is, is ever evolving from script to final, what you finally see, um, on Saturday night. Do you like either of those better being on set or doing kind of going out and, and scoping out the places beforehand? Do either of those excite you more? Well, on, on this particular show, Scotland is amazing. So for every one place you see, I see 10. So it's lovely to go around to see Scotland as a job. You know, we just, you know, you travel around and you see it and you look at beautiful locations uh, so that that's definitely you know a perk. Um, on other shows I've worked on, you know, it might not be as beautiful driving around Los Angeles, you know, where I grew up, looking at all the places you've seen a thousand times. So yes, that that part of it is a perk. But the whole process, I, I really enjoy the whole process from the beginning. You know, when we first sit down and start breaking a story in the room, all the way through to the final product when we go to playback and you know make sure everything sounds right and um that's when we lock the cut and it goes out to to you guys 
Speaking of breaking the story in the room, how was it, especially with the reckoning? How how was the feeling in that room, especially because of the importance of that episode? What was the process like? Well, you know, it wasn't really much different than any other episode in the sense of you know importance. We we put importance on every episode. You know, they have to we have to move, uh, tell the story, and move it forward. Um, so we we know throughout the breaking of of, a, of the seasons that there are certain scenes that just feel like they absolutely have to go in the show. Um, of course, you know, we have to make those choices and sometimes people vary, you know, opinions vary on what needs to go in the show. Everybody has their favorites. So the, for the reckoning, it really felt like um, three scenes absolutely had to be in the show. And that was from the very beginning. You know, we, we when we did a we do a season break and then we do an episode break. Um, so even in a season break, we knew that that this was going to be. Um, we also knew that this episode nine was going to be the mid season break. So um, that gave us a lot of you know when you start off knowing that, you know we we reset the story so to speak and we gave it uh, we put it in Jamie's POV. So we knew that from the very beginning of. Um, when we did the season break. So going into the, the actual break of the episode, there wasn't a lot of pressure because we already knew it was coming, if, if that makes any sense. No, it does. It does. Now, the motivation, I want to know why you as writers chose to have that particular ap- uh, episode from Jamie's point of view, where he was the voiceover and where everything we got to see as viewers was from Jamie's point of view. Well, we, we did it for two reasons. One, it, and, and the main reason is it opens up the story. <clears throat> As we go forward, you know, obviously the first part um, of the season is Claire's story. It's from her POV. She's in every scene, and it's limited in the way you can tell a story. Because if you don't break POV, you can't. Um, and I'll give you an example. I was talking to a director, and he wanted to. Um, do some cutaway scenes to build some tension. And I agreed that it would absolutely build tension, but we couldn't do it because it was out of POV. And normal television shows, you know, the average show doesn't tell a, a, a story from one person's POV. They break, they break POV all the time. And it does add, add tension or, or suspense or whatever you, your emotion, whatever you need, whatever you want to add. And, we just didn't do it. So <clears throat> to open up our stories as we go forward, it really is instead of being um, Claire's story as, as, uh, after nine, it's Jamie and Claire's story. So this was our way of saying, okay, let's this will help bridge the gap. We'll make this one all Jamie. And then as we go forward, as you, as you saw in, in um, episode 10, because we're there, um, you saw scenes with both Claire and Jamie. Yes. You know, their POV. So we deliberately did that in 10. So there's, there's moments when Jamie's out at, say, um, you know, Hopeton House and uh, with Murtaugh, completely out of Claire's POV. And then there's scenes that Claire's with Leary, completely out of Jamie's POV. So now we're telling the story from both sides. I am so happy that you did choose to take it from Jamie's perspective for episode nine. Of course, as a book reader myself, I've always just heard Claire's voice. And 
it, that the scene in particular, the strapping scene, was very hard, probably for everybody to watch and everyone to read. But by having the entire episode from Jamie's perspective really helped me as a viewer sit back and say, this is Jamie's time. Um, so I wanted to kind of understand what your intention was behind the strapping scene, how you were able to write it and, you know, being there uh, as a producer as well. What was, what was your hope that the audience was, would leave from that scene with? Well, to tell you what the audience brings to it is <clears throat> it's up to the audience. There's a, there was an inter- interview with Eddie Vedder once and someone asked him about a song that he had written and what it, what it means and he said, I'm not going to tell you what it means because that takes away from the song for the individual. And I kind of feel that way a lot about certain scenes in Outlander. Sure, there's, there's, there's exposition scenes where we actually are giving you information and they mean what they mean, but there's certain scenes that the viewer has to bring their history and, and their passions and their emotions to the scene, and they can interpret it any way they want. The way I wrote it was from Jamie's POV, obviously, and Jamie's POV is that his father who spanked him multiple times, never did it out of anger. He did it out of, in a way, love. He wanted his son to be a better man, and this is the culture they grew up in. So when Jamie pulls off that belt, and all the men downstairs know that Jamie has to do this because it's their culture, and whether it be a man or a woman, this was going to take place. And the element of um, I know that people speak to the element of danger within the scene. And for Jamie, in my mind, there was no element of danger. He wasn't going to hurt her in the sense of beat. We never used the word beat in the room. We never talked about it like that. It was never a beating. It was a spanking. And um, going into going into for Jamie, his mindset was always, I'm going to punish you. This may hurt in the sense of it's going to hurt you, but I'm not going to physically maim you like his father never physically maimed him. No, it, it definitely makes sense. It was more just, yeah. this is the lesson. And it's not out of, it's not out of hate. It's not out of anger. It's just a lesson learning. And that's exactly how we toned it. So, you know, we, we talked about this prior, obviously we talked about this particular scene a little more than the average um, scene. Some scenes we rehearse on the day. So when you get there and, the cast comes out, <clears throat> and you kind of run through the scene. You know, everybody reads their parts, and then you start blocking it out. You know, on that on that day. But this particular scene was rehearsed um, prior um, a, a couple times because we knew not only the the uh, logistics of where they were going to be within the scene, um, that it was it was a, a, a very important, I'm not saying more important, but just a very important scene to the story. So it wasn't something that we could just do on the day because that would have eaten up too much shooting time. Um, and you want to start rolling your cameras as fast as possible at the beginning of the day. Yes, and they had to they had to almost do a dance. I mean, as odd as that sounds, because no, we're talking it was, about it was definitely It was definitely choreographed within the rehearsal of where they would be and how they would get there. And then within the scene themselves, you know, I mean, as, as being great actors, they do add their own take to it during the actual take. So, um, and that's where you get all that great spontaneity and, and some really great looks and kicks and punches and things being thrown and 
stuff like that, even though we choreograph some of that, I just it, it, it the reality of doing it and, and and pretending to do it. There's a fine line. So, what other options did you have at your disposal to create that scene? What are the options? Yeah, uh, did you try different things that didn't work necessarily? Was there anything that when you were trying to block this out and and choreograph? Oh yeah, the scene? well that that goes with every scene. You know, with every scene, you 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 try things and you look at it and how's this going to work? And everybody kind of tries to figure it out. And and sometimes it may look great, and then you get the cameras in there, and and you have to make adjustments because. And this would be a closed set, so we wouldn't have as many people on the set as, as a normal um, shot. Um, so you know everything. Once you once you change one element, it changes every element, so to speak. Were you on set for that particular? Scene? I was on. I was on set for part of it. Um, I was prepping five and six episodes, five and six, while nine and ten were being shot. So I was there quite a bit on uh, for the shooting. But um, another producer, writer, um, Ira Bear, was actually covering the the full episode. I wanted to know what the atmosphere was like, especially between the actors, you know, when you had to stop shooting and then, you know, set back up. What was the atmosphere like in between while they're doing this cat and mouse chase and also having their emotions very raw? What was it like? They're, you know, uh, Cat and Sam are, are very professional. You know, it's it's... You, there's a lot of times you're on set and you would never know what scene they were shooting. You know, you would go, oh, they're doing a, a you know, lighthearted romp, and just because, or a very, very serious scene, they're, they're, you would never know just by their actions. They're very casual. <clears throat> they're great with the crew. They're great with, the, you know, all the other cast. So, um, it's, it's, you know, it was, I would say it was just a kind of a normal day. Did any of those kicks really happen? I that one kick that really stood out. I was like, "Oh man, looked like Sam really took it." I don't know. <laughs> I, I I think it did. Uh, yes. Well, she did it. She struck him hard. Don't mess with Cat. Well, that's for sure. You know, and as as a book reader, you know that that's not how it actually plays out in the book. She doesn't. There's not a lot of that going on, in the sense of she doesn't fight back as much in the book. And that was one of the elements that was written in is that she really does. She's going to give. And there's a comment she gives as good as she she got, and it we there was that was one of the things that that I definitely wanted to do, and I think the other writers did too. So we wanted to make even it out a little more. Well, I'm glad you did because I was sitting there saying I'd be doing the same thing. I don't right. I don't think I kick as well. I'm not very uh, coordinated. I'm pretty clumsy myself, but I'm I'm glad that you did add that. So this scene, of course, you know, we're talking about it so much because there was a lot of controversy and a lot of people, you know, even including Blake and I, uh, talked about it a great deal. How have you handled this particular scene with all of the talking that everyone has done about it, fans, media sources, how's, how's that kind of affected you? Well, I always, I always say you have to put it in context. I mean, people are shading this with 20th, 21st century views. It is unacceptable to abuse anybody in, in the 21st century. It just is, whether uh, it's, a, it's a man spanking a woman or a woman spanking a man or, you know, to this extent, a child. You know, you don't, I know people spank children still, but you certainly don't do it with a belt and, and like this. So it, you, by shading it with those views, 
it it changes the scene. If you just go into it with this is the culture, this is what they were brought up with, they don't know any different, then Claire's the, the audience. Claire's the one who knows different. And that's why, you know, she's having a hard time understanding Jamie. That's another reason why it's so great from Jamie's POV. He's confused by her. He doesn't know. Why are you having a problem with this? This should, yeah. you, you should be accepting. And he says, if you just yield, this will go easier. And Claire is the 20th century woman. You know, she's, uh, what? Are you insane? Spank me? So that's the play in the scene. To me, the, the confusion on both parts, not just on her part, just not on the audience part. If you put your mind, if you, if you put yourself in Jamie's mind, and, and really, you've probably done something in your life where you're completely confused, confused about the other person not seeing your view. Um, maybe your husband uh, doesn't see it your way. You're confused why he can't just see the light. Well, that's Jamie's take here. You know, well, he doesn't know she's from the future. And not to, you know... They are, they are having a serious marital issue. I mean, just exactly. I'm, I'm right now thinking about how Blake doesn't put the dishes away correctly. He always puts the bowls facing up. And I'm like, what is wrong? Why, why can't you understand this? Granted, it is very different than strapping. I'm not trying to make that at all lighthearted. But I agree with you. When you just look at someone, and you're like, what? how can you not understand this? This is something that makes total sense to me. I've known this my entire life. And yet yep. you're not on the same page. Well, and welcome to America or any other country where one person has one view and another person has another view, and we both look and, and both look at each other like they're insane because they just don't understand. And and I think a lot of the controversy comes from that people are just seeing it from Claire's point of view and they're not seeing it from Jamie's point of view. And that's why we, we know when we tell him this, we absolutely said, you know, this is a matter of fact thing for you. He almost he probably puts on Brian's persona going into this. Those probably words that he, Brian used on him. You know, this Brian being Jamie's dad for yes, yes. Yeah. Um, that you know, this will go easier if you just yield. All the things that Jamie probably fought against when he was younger. So he's just he's just doing and and, and you know, I have the luxury of knowing, you know, scenes in DI um sorry, Dragonfly in Amber, uh, when Jamie has to uh, uh, dole out some other punishments, you know, it's in, in, in those stories, you know, it's, it's how it affects him. So we get a, a, a different read on Jamie. So, you know, I, I know those, and you try to incorporate a little bit of that, and in, in I try to incorporate a little of that in this scene as well, so... Well, in my opinion, you did a very good job. So well, I, I do. You handled it quite nicely. Well, it sounded from it sounded from the podcast that you guys uh, <laughs> had had some issues with this. So uh, I, it, you didn't know, it, didn't it bring down the kilt rating a couple <laughs> uh, a couple kilt? It did. It did. You know, but I, now that I've been able, <clears throat> excuse me, I also have sinus infection. You might have heard that in my previous yeah. episode. But yeah, you, I actually I've watched it back again, and I really tried to say, okay, this is Jamie's episode. Uh, this is this is all from Jamie's point of view, right. and my family um, 
I come from actually a very Scottish family. And I think part of the reason it was tough for me is because um, my dad's father you know, was very Scottish. Like all of our family lives up in Nova Scotia. They're part of the Highland Games. And, you know, uh, punishing with a belt was something that they still did up through my dad's generation. Right. It didn't happen to me. Right. But my dad, like I, I know stories about how hard and how terrible it hurts to be hit with a belt on your bum. So Absolutely. I was able to watch that with well, not personal re- reaction to it. I, luckily, my my bum has been saved from that. I think because I was able to feel my dad's fear about it and he was able to say how much it hurt and how it really did hurt to sit down and thinking, oh no, Claire has to now ride a horse with that kind of a pain. Um, It definitely was harder for me to swallow. And being a book reader, I had just had Claire's perspective. But now having watched it yet again and really saying, this is Jamie's perspective. And you're right, Jamie's tone and the words that you chose for him and how he just says, okay, we got to get this done. This is part of the gig. You were bad. You endangered a lot of people. Let's uh-huh. just do this. And, and you know, there's a scene that he talks about, you know, in the book, there's a scene that he talks about how his father punished him. And you get a lot of that in the book. You just don't get it in the show because we obviously don't have as much time to put every every scene that we like, you know, that that we could or, or we, that we would want to, into the show. Um, so, you know, also some readers of of the book who watch a scene on the show kind of fill in the gaps sometimes, and it doesn't always necessarily work because you know the story on the show is the story on the show. It has to stand alone, and I think um, as we know. You know the the Leary scenes in episode nine are definitely shaded with what people know of Leary, rather than what we've shown of Leary, and and uh, if that makes any sense, yes. uh, yeah. So immediately her appearing on screen um, in episode you know two, people didn't like her, and you're like, really? Why? Why? Why didn't you like this poor teenage Why? girl? Exactly, and and I think that. Um, the way the way Jamie's written in, in those scenes is uh, he, this is a guy that that why I like Jamie is that he's a, he he honors his word um, he he's a man of, of of honor and you know even so much in the opening scene where he doesn't just kill Blackjack he he promised Ned Gowan that he wouldn't he wouldn't kill anybody so to kill someone would go against Jamie's word and and. As much as you want him to kill Blackjack, that's what makes Jamie an honorable guy, is that he didn't. And so when he when he comes back, and whether whether Jamie has misled Leary or not, which you know when once again, 21st century, you hook up with someone, it may not mean as much. But to a 16-year-old girl who's loved this man since the first time she's seen him. By the way, most fans have loved Jamie since the first time they've seen him, so uh, people are being a little harsh on Leary for liking him. Um, that This is all she's dreamed about. And then the guy stands up, takes a beating for her, and then Claire tries to set them up, and then Jamie makes out with her. Claire, in the story, gives her a potion to help her fall in love to help him fall in love, I don't see why she wouldn't think that Jamie liked her. 
Well, especially at her age, at sixteen, I think about what I was like at sixteen. I thought this guy liked me. Yep. He was next to my locker. He had red sneakers, and he would like smile every once in a while at there me. There you go. And I was like, yeah. oh my god, we're we're obviously soulmates. Yes, yeah, must mean love. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he goes out with, you know, Susie Smith to the to the you know fall dance, and your heart's broken. Exactly. So, this is this is who in our story. This is who we're dealing with. So all the information that has been given about Leary, there's no reason to believe that she's this menacing, hateful person who likes Jamie. Everybody likes Jamie, and so when he doesn't out, you know, the time issue in the in the first scene is that he has to go see Colm, and he doesn't want to crush her soul because he clearly sees that she's hurt. He clearly sees that he did something a miss because, you know, he's a 22, 23-year-old guy who doesn't deal with women well at this moment. Um, then the second scene, he was also caught off guard, too. He even calls her on it, you know, in the sense of, I think, when he says, um, my, this is not, you know, she calls it a secret place, yes. and he says, it's not so secret if you found me. That, to me, uh, maybe it was slightly subtle or too subtle, is I want to be left alone. And she doesn't. So, I yes, I said I would come and tell you, talk to you when I come and talk to you. Well, she took it upon herself to come and um, talk to him. And that, for me, subtly, he sh- that's, please leave me alone right now. I'm thinking about my wife. And then he's caught off guard once again. I know, there's lingering of hands. Uh, yes, well, that's my next that. question. Was he yeah. tempted by her? Because I was thinking about it, and you've got this attractive woman here without any undergarments under her dress. And Jamie was kind of going through a rough patch with Claire at that point. Their Very usual yes. morning, noon, and after after uh, dinner time probably together. Hasn't, hasn't been when it had been before as Claire was denying him. So I didn't know if there was a little part of Jamie who, mind you, is very new to Claire still. Was Jamie at all tempted by Leary? Well, well, this is once again one of those scenes where I'm not going to... Uh, I'll tell you what I think, and then there's there's other things, you know, what, what someone else thinks is could be completely different. And I think there's been a lot of controversy about this particular moment because Leary is, is shaded with what, what happens in the future books. And you know what they their view of Jamie is. Now remember this in the book. Um, I, I don't know if show you know people who have just seen the show. I mean, only you know. I mean, maybe Blake can if he was on the phone, he could he could speak to this. But it, this this scene isn't in 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 the book. He doesn't. Correct. He just tells Claire, "You have nothing to worry about with that girl." And I believe him when he says it in the book. And I believe him if he said it in this in the show. I'd believe it too. But you don't have a dilemma unless you have a dilemma. Meaning, you can, a dilemma isn't good, bad. Dilemma is bad, good, good, or bad, bad. You know, my wife, if I make this choice, I could lose possibly the soulmate of, of, of you know, everybody's life. I mean, this is the soulmates of soulmates. Mm-hmm. If I make this wrong choice, and or a choice. It's a choice he can make. He could have Leary if he wants her. But once again, he says, I made a vow. Now, for me personally, when Jamie says vow, he means love. He doesn't say, I love my wife, leave me alone. But he does it in a way. He says, you're a bonnie lass. He doesn't want to crush her soul. He's not that guy. Jamie, if you read the, the, if, as you read the books, 
there's moments that he makes light of things to make people feel comfortable. He does this over and over and over again. It's one of the reasons why we love him. The famous line, um, uh, chickens are very poor company. He's making Claire feel better about a situation that's just really horrific. He's just talking about his whole family being you know, ravaged by redcoats and how he was taken away. But yet he makes a joke in, in, in the moment. And that, to me, is what Jamie does. So in a moment that could be very soul-crushing to the 16-year-old girl, he tries to make her feel a little bit better about it. Hey, you're Bonnie Lass. I'm not going to be with you. I don't care how Bonnie you are. I don't care who you are. I'm going to go and be with my wife because I made a sacred vow to her. And to him, that's love. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't do, there was no voice over there in the, for him saying that, you know, that I love my wife. I, I thought it was very apparent that he did because the very next scene, what does he do? He goes to his wife. Um, the key for me, as I was writing the script, I know they were married in seven and I know that, um, those were the actual wedding vows to him, but they don't really, the, the marriage for me doesn't begin until the moment he drops to a knee and he puts the knife to his heart because he didn't do that with Colm. He didn't pledge anything to Colm. He just said, hey, while I'm here, I'll I'll, I'll listen to you, but I'm certainly not going to pledge anything to you. But to Claire, he pledged his undying love and life. If I ever betray you in any way, you can kill me. And I'll gladly go because he knows he's not going to. So that was the moment that once again, for me, anybody else can interpret it any way they want to, um, is when their undying love started. Because if you remember, Claire, if the Redcoats didn't grab Claire, would she have gone back? Most you know, likely at that point. She was right. calling for and, Frank. <laughs> but she was already married. She already slept with Jamie. So the question is, and you're a book reader, you know what she's thinking when she gets back to Leoc. You know, you know how she doesn't, you know, I mean, I don't want to spoil, I mean, not that we're going to yeah, play it or not, but you understand as a book reader, what she's still thinking when she gets back to Leoc. Mm-hmm. So this had to be played in a way that some information, um, because it's Jamie's POV and Jamie's voiceover, we don't go into her head. You know, we don't go into what she was actually thinking at this moment, but I knew what she was thinking from the books. Um, and we just had to play it a, a slightly different way because it's, this story has to stand on its own. I love that you're saying, too, just that the word vow can just be as powerful as the word love because yeah. it's something that I was missing. And I, in, in our last episode, you know, when Jamie says, I want you, Blake had heard, I love you. And I right. said, he doesn't say I love yet. Like, neither of them have said love. And here they are, they're married, but it still is so new. And both of them are feeling this, but neither of them has been able to actually say it out loud to one another. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that, that that's how you, as a writer, interpreted actually his word vow, because it can't get any more strong than that. Yeah, and... and- Leary knows in this time period, she's watched all these people come and give their vow, their vow of life. When they, when they, you know, put that, the, you know, when they kiss them, the, the dirt, you know, in front of, or the dagger in front of Colin, they're, they're pledging their life to this man. 
I will die for you. And Jamie doesn't do it. So the word is is much more than, you know, once again, if you watch the scene from a 21st century viewpoint, people take wedding vows all the time here, and half of them get divorced because that's the statistic. Well, it doesn't mean as much in the 21st century, but in, in, in 1744, when this takes place, it means everything, everything to this man. And that's why I think Claire, in that moment, also knows that. And I think Leary would know when she heard that, I vowed, I vowed to, and I'm not going back on my vow, because he could. Mm-hmm. He, he could go back on his vow for her. And any woman who, you know, would change a man into taking her instead of the the other woman would be swept off her feet, I'm I'm sure. But she heard it, and he said it, and that's why she reacts so, you know, emotionally. He'll never, you know, he won't be with me. Now, now how she's delusional in the next episode, well, that's on on Leary and her 16-year-old mindset and how she's going to deal with it is all on her now you might be able to start hating her because now she's starting to do stuff that's hateable. Yes. She's not just crying at prom because Jamie didn't ask her out. She's right. now getting other people involved and getting people in trouble. And yes, that's, that's to, for me, episode 10 is when, you, when, when I start hating Leary. I didn't hate her before this. She was just, once again, just a 16-year-old girl who was in love with Jamie and I just love, you know, when I was reading some of the comments uh, about, you know, people hating her for loving Jamie. And it's like, well, you love Jamie. Everybody <laughs> loves Jamie. Everyone says they want their own Jamie. So, yeah. yeah. And I would, you know, I mean, I've seen, I've been to a few events where I've seen married women um, act like 16-year-old girls around Sam. So, you know. Let's say it's, it's temptation is out there. Yes. So poor, <laughs> poor Leary up until episode 10. That's all it is. Poor 16-year-old broken heart. <laughs> yeah. So now, and, 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 you know, once again, you're always dealing with, and, and I can't remember exactly what Blake had said in the podcast, but I think he was with um, Jamie a little more in the scene where it's like, hey, you are tempted. There are some temptations in this world. But I think Jamie acted you know, in an, in an honorable way. I don't think he betrayed his wife in any way, shape, or form for, for me. And uh, would, would I have, you know, you know as, a, as a man, would I have touched her? I don't know. I mean, that's what the scene, that's how they blocked the scene. I was not there on that particular day of shooting. So that's a choice that was made by many people. And um, what's great about the scene as it plays is that it makes viewers feel you feel passionately about it, and that's what the show should do. Is it should make you feel. If you come out of a show feeling flat, like uh, nothing happened, then that's when we're not doing our job. It made me feel awkward because it was almost like shock. You know, as I said in the episode when we recapped it, his hand lingered there for a while. It wasn't like you know someone reacting harshly and pulling their hand back right away. Right. But I felt like Jamie was almost in shock. You know, I, here he is, this young strapping man who yeah. up until recently was a virgin, and here's this hot 16-year-old who says, here you go, and he must have stood there like, this, of course, isn't what I want, but oh, oh my God, an and oh I my God think, moment. I do think there was shock. I think that he was shocked that she was coming on to him in the way she was coming on to him because it's so out of character for her, 
And and I don't mean it's wrong for her character. I mean, this, this is, he has not seen this before. And she was throwing it out there. She's saying, hey, i got to do everything in my power to get this guy on, on Team Larry. And, and, you know, I, you know, it was me and, and, and a woman I knew, you know, in this way, you know, did this to me. I'd be slightly shocked, too. Um, I think surprised, he was definitely surprised by it. Uh, the, the the turn of the scene because he had control of the scene in the very beginning and then it just turned on a dime for him. Once that jacket came off, you bet. It, exactly. So here's a guy going, "Oh man, did I do? Is am I at fault for this?" So you know, there's a lot of things running around in his head. And then how do I get out of this? How do I get out of this without hurting her or or myself? And um, I bet there's you know a lot of people in the world would love to see how their spouse or better half reacted in a situation like this. We just got to, we, we, we were, we showed it to you in the sense of the audience is a lot of time is Claire because she's the narrator. We see the story through her eyes and that's why this isn't in the, you know, we don't see this scene in the book and we talked about it. it was what, what would have happened? What did happen when Jamie saw Leary out of Claire's eye shot? And this is the scene that, that you get. So when he comes back to her, and basically says, you have nothing to worry about ever. I I believe him, and because and I, I witnessed it. It was there for the taking, and he didn't take it. I like that. You're right. <laughs> Makes me not trust 16-year-old girls around my husband, but yes, I agree. <laughs> well, but the key is, is it doesn't matter what that other person does, you trust your husband. That's right. And that he, right. he's the one that's going to say no, and it is actually his, you know, in, in my viewpoint, it's Jamie's. Um, obligation to say no, and he did. There was a maybe a two or three second lingering, but if that was you know two or three seconds to try to figure out what to say, that's nothing. It went. It, it didn't go um, well. Didn't you know, go the way that Leary planned on it going it, for sure. Exactly, yes, exactly. <laughs> so we covered the relationships between Jamie and Claire, and then Jamie and Leary. There was another big thing that happened in this episode between Jamie and Colum that yep. especially surprised Blake, uh, where Jamie was told that Colum was hoping he could be Laird. Right. So does Colum trust Jamie more than we think? Well, I think that Colum has. Uh, always loved Jamie and seen him because remember Jamie is uh, fostered at both Google's and at uh, Leoc prior to this so they have they have quite a bit of relationship between them um, and he's McKenzie blood and the way the way the clans uh, choose his successors not necessarily just because you know Hamish is his son he would immediately succeed um, uh, call him the clan members uh, would if they threw all their support to Dougal, then Dougal would be the, be the man. If they threw it all to Hamish, Hamish would be the man. And in turn, if they threw it all to Jamie, he could lead uh, the McKenzie clan. So both Dougal and Colum know this. And I think Dougal down deep probably realizes that Jamie is, is a very um, worthy opponent and that people could see him because he's a natural leader. He's a great fighter. He has uh, a, all the qualifications, to, you know, and he's a reasonable, compassionate man. And people know that about him. Who wouldn't want Jamie as their leader? He takes care of people. Um, and he doesn't, you know, I mean, it, it, 
I would vote for Jamie if it was an open election, wouldn't you? Over oh, Dougal? that is right. Especially after this week's episode of seeing Dougal go crazy in the, the exactly. dining room. Exactly. So I think Dougal has always seen this and he's always known this uh, going back to the early day, you know, early parts of the book and the show. I mean, this is why, um, you know, Dougal uses Jamie and he put, he puts, he puts him in a bad light and rent and, and, um, tries to keep his men really under his thumb, you know, the, the Rupert and Angus, Angus and the uh, Willies. And, and, and you can see Willie as, as the story goes, you can see Willie kind of going to team Jamie, you know, Jamie helped him. He, but Willie's a McKenzie, you know, or at least falls in that, uh, under that clan. So I've always, we, we've always thought that, uh, Colm, um, wanted Jamie to, to succeed him. So when he openly, uh, well, cause Dougal marries him off to uh, an English woman, Sassanat, hoping that would, um, cause disfavor amongst the clansmen who see the English as the enemy that would help him uh, essentially get votes, you know, mm-hmm. and Colm didn't, wasn't, uh, consulted in the marriage it just happened that's why he's angry with jamie he's angry that you didn't wait and you didn't consult him and now it would take a lot of maneuvering to give his clan to jamie it would it would would just take a lot more than just saying hey i want jamie because that would hold a lot of weight but now you would look at it and you would go Okay, then I think about it, you know, in the world of politics today, if, you, if, if one president, you know, an outgoing president says, hey, I, I give my endorsement to this guy, but now, right when you're about to do it, that guy says something ridiculous or, you know, just does something so outlandish, no pun, um, that it's hard to give your endorsement of that person. And I think that's why Colin felt betrayed. Makes sense. Now, is Colm, should he be afraid of Dougal? Well, I, I don't know if he should be afraid of him. Uh, Colm doesn't seem like he's afraid of anybody. Um, so I'm not going to say, to tell you the truth. <laughs> You're just going to keep <laughs> mum on that topic. Yeah. I, I think it'll play. You know, I mean, you'll, we'll, we'll, you'll see it play out and um, they'll, they'll both be around, you know, well, it's something you're just going to have to watch. I'm sorry. They're either just going to have to watch or they're going to have to pick up those books. That's what's going to have to happen. People like Blake. My goodness. Yes. So the big question that especially Blake likes to know about the people that we interview, are you Team Jamie or are you Team Frank? Um, I am Team Claire. <laughs> I like that. How come? Uh, I... I, I, I Look, don't get me wrong. I love I love Frank. Um, I love all the characters. You know, they're, they're, each one is is great to write. Frank, Blackjack, of course. Um, uh, even Miss Fitz, I love writing Miss Fitz. But uh, and Jamie, you know, I, I love I love Jamie's character. I love what, all the things I had said. You know, how he's compassionate and yet he has a sense of humor about all the horrible things that that, that, that have happened to him in his life. Um, but Claire is just, she's, she's us, you know, she's, uh, she's the audience. She's 
our our eyes into the world, and she's more contemporary in in the way that she deals with things, as you saw in Ten. You know, after just promising Janie to obey and not do the thing, you know, she got spanked for it. Mm-hmm. And first chance you get, she goes and does what she feels like it. And it's a character you you, you want to write because. You never know what you're going to get with Claire. She is definitely full of surprises. She is full of surprises, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Matt, for talking with us here on the podcast. You have given us a wealth of knowledge. So incredibly excited that we get to share this with our listeners. It's fun to not only watch the episodes over and over again because we love them and read about them, but to get to hear insight like yours that gives us a bit more into what it actually took to make scenes like this come to life. Yeah. Well, they, I'm glad to do it, and everybody just keep watching, and um, we're working hard on uh, season two right now, so uh, uh, there's more to come. Working hard meaning traveling all over Scotland and looking at the beautiful scenery. You are one lucky man, I tell you what. I, I, I agree. I agree <laughs> with that wholeheartedly. It is, it is, uh, but I will say there are, you know, there are also 15-hour days standing in the cold and the wet. Oh, oh by the way. I did hear you guys mention when they jumped off the the ramparts into yes. the water that they would have died, drowned, and freezing and drowned and all that. One, the land is right there, so they probably had about two or three minutes to get out. Okay. Um, it rains constantly in Scotland, even in the winter. Highlanders were always wet, and believe it or not, they would deliberately wet their clothing uh, because wool has this property of staying warm when it's wet. So they wouldn't have, have uh, we have we have researchers and real Highlanders who tell us about these things. So yes, as they got out of the water, they probably would have been nice and uh, warm, chilly, but they probably, what you didn't see is they probably would have, um, you know, wrung the clothes out. And wool has as a is is an amazing, especially their wool in that time. Um, this property of, of not only staying warm when it's wet, but being even warmer in a weird way. Oh, so, wow. well, thank you because I was that that was one thing that got me confused. I got pushed into a pool once in high school, and I think I was just wearing jeans and a sweatshirt or something, right. and it was so much harder to swim. And I said, no, absolutely, that that is a, a, a leap of faith. Faith, I think you have to take is that. Did they get? They obviously got out, but the part about them being warm afterwards is is the the part that uh, it's amazing. You can see the people, um, the crew in big jackets, and you know, especially us from Los Angeles. You know, we have nine layers of clothing on. We look like uh, that kid from uh, uh, Christmas, Christmas Story. Story. Yeah, <laughs> and some of the Highlanders uh, who are just in the kilts and the, and the waistcoats and stuff, they're standing out there completely warm in the clothing that, that you know. The, authentic clothing that's been made for them. And some of them even get hot because it's such a great insulator. Wow. So, yeah, it's amazing. It, it, is, it does amaze me of, of how, um, in a weird way, you know, they've had, they adapted to their environment and they made the clothes that worked for them at the time. And believe it or not, they, did, they weren't dying of frostbite out there. malnutrition and war and accidents and things that happen that a lot of them just weren't freezing to death because they knew how to clothe themselves. 
That's amazing. I yeah. feel like Terry needs to come out with a line for people like us. We live in Rhode Island, so we just had yeah. that wonderful winter that never ended. I feel like we're in Game of Thrones. Um, but that's the kind of clothes that we need. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten a sinus infection if I had, you know, Highland wool. There you go. Some things were very progressive about, you know, and sometimes old school works better than new school, you know? Yep, most certainly. Oh, well, thank you. I'm really happy you got to clarify that for us. And I also just told myself that Jamie is so strong and so fantastic that he was just a great swimmer and he was able to carry them both to shore. Pretty much. I mean, (laughs) I didn't give him the name King of Men. You guys did, but uh, it doesn't, it it goes with the appellation that he is a. I mean, he he has superpowers. He can do he can do everything. Oh, while having perfect hair. God bless him. It never gets messed up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you once again, Matt, for joining us here on Outlander Cast. What a wealth of knowledge! My mind is blown. My sixteen-year-old self is back in all of her heyday of you know glory of red shoes. Why doesn't he like me? <laughs> I can't believe you told him the red shoes story. I know. What I didn't tell him is that I told that guy at my high school reunion. I was like, guess what? I had the hots for you for years because you wore red shoes. <laughs> oh what did he say to that? Um, his friends actually looked at him and they were like, oh, my God. Wow. She liked you this whole time. And I was like, and now married. Sorry. Boom. <laughs> Missed your chance. And uh, I got to say thank you to you, my darling wife, for doing the interview without me. Unfortunately, we weren't able to connect uh, before the interview uh, for various stupid technological reasons and uh, my wife picked me up huge on that one so thank you it's my job (laughs) that's why you're here (laughs) no no it was really good getting that perspective especially knowing that they wrote it from jamie's point of view for that particular purpose of getting the viewer to know that it wasn't out of hate it wasn't out of anger it was only Listen, this is how I was raised, and this is how this is going to be. You're going to get it. You're going to catch a beating, and uh, you're lucky that I'm not cutting your ear off because that would hurt a lot. That would suck. Ugh. You know, and it was also really great to get his perspective on Leary and and, and everybody. I think he kind of said this himself. How from the very beginning, everybody hated Leary, especially book readers, because they know exactly what's going to happen with her. And I, and I can appreciate that, but as at least in the show and a show watcher myself, I don't have that vitriol for her. I don't, I don't have that kind of... At that episode. At that correct. episode, you know, or up until episode 10, uh, which we've already seen. So he was right. He's only, she's only a 16-year-old girl. What, what has she done to earn the ire of all of the Outlander fandom at that very moment? And and this is why I love the fact that I'm watching this show just from the show perspective, because I'm getting a chance to see it freshly, and I get a chance to look at all the characters as they are, and, and, and without having that shade, you know, that he said that that kind of uh, foreshadowing or that kind of expectation of that character, and I, I love being able to experience it freshly. You know what I mean? Yes, it just makes it difficult for me. Because I have to look away. Well, that's the gig, girl. I know. I know. <laughs> this is a cross-eyed bear. Oh, you want to do a, a podcast with me? I'm not going to read the book. All right. It's going to be easy. Hey, how, how about the fact that Matt Roberts is a listener of the show, by the way? And he was... Wow. He called us out, by the way. He called out your three-kilt rating. Yes, he did. He was not happy with the three-kilt rating. I wouldn't be happy. Matt, I'm sorry if you're listening. I... It, 
I, I'm not going to change the rating. Once the rating's been made, I'm sticking with it. That's how it goes. Oh, my goodness. It was good episode eight. It, it's far better than half the crap that's on network TV. I'll tell you that. Half? I think it's better than like all of it. Uh, yeah, I'd probably go with that, too. I hate other TV shows. I just love Outlander. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you so much once again for listening to our interview. Um, We have a couple announcements that we want to make. Yes, we do. Tag your it Etsy shops. The sponsor of this episode and the sponsor of every episode going forward has given us the chance to give out a $20 gift card to their Etsy shop. Don has done this to for all of the Tweet of the Week winners for each episode of Outlander Cast. So be creative with your tweets to us, and it may be you next. And so if you like don't know what a Tweet of the Week is, we, we hear feedback about each episode on Facebook or on Instagram, but then on Twitter it's really fun because it's only 140 characters. So if you write to us your reaction and it's witty it's fun make sure you've tagged us in it so at outlandercast on twitter or you can even hashtag outlandercast just so that we can find it um but if you are the winner if you have the most creative or impressive tweet that week you get a 20 dollars gift card to don's shop it's so cool tag you're it it doesn't suck i'll tell you that nope nope the next thing we have to announce is that our next episode after the devil's mark recap will be with carol and tracy from my outland Purgatory. So excited. And Blake got to meet them in person. Yes, that's right. We got a chance. I got a chance to meet them in New York at the premiere event. So our next episode, we will be discussing the premiere event, all that went down with that, getting some audio from it, but also their reactions from the first three episodes of Outlander Season 1B. And I think that's a fantastic opportunity. They're wonderful people, great ideas, great reactions. Really good Outlander fans. If you haven't had a chance to check them out yet, go to myoutlanderpurgatory.com and you will be able to see the wonderfulness that, that Tracy and Carol have over there. So we're really excited to announce that that will be the following episode after the Devil's Mark recap. All right, kid, what do you say? You want to close out the show? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Outlander Cast. We love to hear from you and interact. We want to know what your thoughts are on this interview. So you can reach us. Pretty much all of our social media handles are the same. It's Outlander Cast. So that's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, which I still don't fully know how to use. But I'm trying. I'm trying, guys. Do the best we can. You can also find us at OutlanderCast.com. And there you will find the discussion form that we have with each episode. You can comment, talk with myself or Mary or other Outlander Cast listeners or Outlander fans, it's a great opportunity to just discuss the episodes amongst yourselves. I love that op- I love that chance. Once you're on OutlanderCast.com, you can also check out the Marion Blake store. We have a whole bunch of swag, different shirts, including the Sassanac Wasted t-shirt, which everyone loves. <laughs> That's correct. And while you're, uh, if you hopefully if you're trying to get in touch with us, you can reach us at OutlanderCast at Gmail. And our hotline, we like to hear your voices. Our hotline number is 503-454-6730. And you can actually just find that right on our website. You don't even need to call. You can just click from our website. And speaking from the website, you can also find a way if, for whatever the reason, the goodness of your heart, you have a chance to support Mary and Blake and Outlander Cast, you can go directly to our Patreon page at the Support Us 
tab, whether it's 25 cents, 50 cents, a dollar, any amount will help us keep this show going and keep it written, produced, and uh, acted, and, and it, it will be great. So we would gladly accept any chance for that. Thanks so much for tuning in to Outlander Cast. My name's Mary. And I'm Blake. And we'll talk to you next time. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.